1: You're listening to The Sound of London. This is Londonist Out Loud. I'm Anne Quentin Wolfe, and today we are talking about, but not visiting, Battersea. Nothing personal, Battersea. Uh, There's a good reason for it, as will, I hope, become clear. We're going to be exploring one artist's very personal view of Battersea's, plural, past, present, and future. And in doing so, inevitably, we're going to be talking about the power station that's at the heart of that whole thing and um, this is about to sound like a trite connection, but it's not at all, because it's not merely the the subject matter of power stations that connects things up here, um, nor the date, which, as you'll know, is five years since the... Well, disaster isn't a strong enough word. In fact, I don't think words are really available for what happened in Japan five years ago. You'll have seen the pictures, you'll remember, of course, among many other aspects to the tragedy, the situation at the Fukushima nuclear plant. And the reason I bring that up is not merely the date, but also that the exhibition we're visiting in this podcast is a two hander and alongside my guest's discussion of Battersea is a piece about Fukushima. And I made an editorial decision here. I didn't want to put these two things side by each. But equally I'm not gonna skim over Uh, What today means, and I want to express in the strongest possible terms uh, solidarity with anyone who's looking back over the last five years at at events back then and uh, is doing so with uh, inevitably a great deal of pain. There's no easy way to follow on from that, so apologies for the jarring effect as we move forward. I want to give a nod to uh, those who've been tweeting the show over the last few weeks especially. Jason Hewitt, Michelle Francis Gareth Morell. Special marks to Konstantin Pineev, as always. uh, Moscow, London Well, you know what as an information guru you are worth your weight in gold sir. One of your latest observations about uh, Fleet Street starting where it did because it was in between the the church and the lawyers. Of course, who need all the printed materials? Yeah, makes perfect sense. Uh, Lots of comments as well on the Matcha tea c- coffee thing uh, matcha martinis as well have been suggested uh, by Bob Swindle that's uh, practice matcha martinis I don't think so Candice has emailed us at info at londonist dot com and she says the best And best is capitalised, I'll have you know. Matcha latte and proper plain matcha on offer in London is at Curator's Coffee. This is because they use Lalani and Co brand matcha, which is about the best you can get in the British market. And the quality of the matcha is key to making it not taste awful and bitter. Uh, So there you go. I don't know if she's correct about that, but she does know her teas. So I think we're in with a shout. If you've been enjoying the show, you could do us a solid one and you could uh, you could give us a review on iTunes if you felt like it. Good reviews and high ratings are intimately connected to us being able to uh, yeah, stay on the air and, and keep bringing you this stuff. And uh, without further ado, let me bring you this stuff.
2: Hey baby, let me take you down So we'll play some strange sights and sounds. sound You ain't never seen the light before Just a song through from your front
1: I am surrounded by strange noises i 'm just south of the Thames i 'm in the borough London Bridge area. in a darkened room onto a wall behind me is projected a cinematic view of well construction, atmospheric stuff going on, and another place south of the river, just ahead of me, Alice May Williams. So I'm really disappointed to discover is not what I had in my mind uh, at all. I had a very clear image of somebody who fought in the civil rights movement and then retired to the Deep South to write uh, inspirational novels in her later years. Alice May Williams, you are not that person.
3: I'd, I, how do you respond to that? That's, that's the best introduction ever. Um, is that because of my name?
1: Yes, and, oh, very much so. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is your film, right?
3: This is my film, Yeah.
1: Could you, because it's the obvious place to start and it of course dominates the room as, as well it should Could you give us a bit of narrative as to what we're seeing here?
3: So the film basically charts the course of history on one patch of land being the site of the Battersea Power Station going from before it was built back to when Battersea was a marsh and a market garden up until the present and future
1: It's fast cuts going on here. So, for example, we're spinning around a Chelsea FC football field in what looks like a graphic construction of the building, intercut with scenes from maybe the 20s or 30s of flat-capped workers huddled around. It always looks like it was cold in the 20s and 30s, doesn't it? Yeah. And uh, now we see a fire burning in what looks like the 80s from the film quality. So this is a real hash together of all sorts of different things. Is there a narrative through line to this?
3: Uh, Yes. Uh, what is the narrative
1: (laughs) (laughs) note to self don't ask closed questions
3: (laughs) Um, so the kind of structure of the film is uh, based on the practice of mindfulness of trying to remain in the present moment being constantly drawn into the past and the future so the part that you referred to with the anima- the digital animation of Chelsea Football Club represents a kind of lost future which was one plan for the closed power station was to turn it into Chelsea Football Club at one point which um, unfortunately never got uh, further than the drawing board stage and the intercut with uh, archive footage of the power station I think in the 30s that image was from during a strike by the workers at the power station. So in short answer to your question, is there a narrative? The narrative would be understanding the possible futures that might be, I was going to say possible again, uh, through looking at the past and how things are constantly fluctuating and shifting. So kind of understanding this moment in time is just being very transitory.
1: And one of a a range of possible todays, depending on which way things are turned at any given point... Is that where you spend your time imaginatively and do you find yourself inhabiting that space a lot where things could have been this other way?
3: Yeah, I find it really interesting. I also I'd always find looking at things on a really broad scale to be useful in understanding both the present and the future. So understanding that, you know, there's the way that things are in London at the moment there's a feeling somehow of like inevitability of the way things will go and how we're on this sort of progression towards a uninhabited luxury flat empty city scenario but you know when you look at the the course of history on that one patch of land and all the different aspirations and plans and movements of people that have happened in one area you kind of understand these these eras as being very temporary really we don't really know what will happen in the future but it most certainly probably won't be what we think
1: Hmm. I presume you've had to contextualise the archive footage here that you've been weaving together and I wonder if there have been other times that that you would identify with the time we're in now in terms of that sealed fate of London and oh yes it's it's definitely going to be out of reach of the common person
3: That's an interesting question Uh, One thing that I find interesting about the power station in itself is that the reason that it was built in Battersea in the first place was because the people of Chelsea and Westminster had a high demand for power, but they didn't want a power station on their side of the river because it it would decrease the value of their homes. So they went to the next available place, which was Battersea, and they said, right, we'll we'll build the power station here, and that will feed all the power north of the river. And the people of Battersea, who are generally poor, can put up with the dirty air. And so there was a kind of inevitability about that north-south divide of the rich in Chelsea looking down their noses at Battersea and now we're in a situation where you've got Battersea and the power station with the, the kind of penthouse, multi-million pound flats. You know, it's kind of, it's kind of a, a very strange reversal of fortunes yeah. for Battersea.
1: Well, and for Chelsea. When, when did the station go up?
3: I think they started work in 28 or 29, and it took about 10 years to build it entirely, so for a while it was just two chimneys. It was completed by about 1938
1: or 39. Oh, right, as recently
3: as that? Yeah, yeah. People are always really surprised because it has this sense of, like, timelessness that it's this thing that's always been there, and it's relatively recent and had quite a short... Life period is an active power station, in a way.
1: I always associate this, the smoking chimneys with Victorian yeah, industrialism. Industrial
3: revolution, but it, it's, it's a very modern building.
1: And, of course, 100 years before that, I doubt it would have been too much of a problem to stick a power station in Chelsea because that was a relatively yeah. impoverished uh, neighbourhood.
3: Nothing lasts forever. You know, the fact that all these flats within the power station have been sold off planet and just accumulating value across the world constantly, like it can't go on indefinitely, so
1: We've been saying that for a while, though. Yeah, I
3: know but, I mean, if you look at the course of history that's what I mean about looking at things on a wider scale of like 500 years rather than Five. It's, got, it's a bit more uh, heartening.
1: All bubbles burst <laughs> if you give them time. Yeah. So there's a couple of websites that specialise in possible futures of Battersea Power Station, and some of the designs are a bit silly. There's a French yes. roller coaster around the power station in one, um, in another one. There's some. Undulating buildings that look as though they're places for people to live. There's a swimming pool that there is no chance, no no money in the world could get me to go into the swimming pool between suspended t- ten t- stories yeah. up between two. T- no, what's actually there at the moment?
3: Um, a big building site really, but you, there's, the rate of construction around it is quite remarkable. So in between the first set of filming that we did, sort of last August.
1: Oh, so some of this is your. Your footage? Yeah,
3: yeah, so all, all the present-day footage we shot sort of from August to November last year. So all the kind of exterior shots we shot in August, and by November, we're when we went to shoot in um, the interiors looking out, this huge building had gone up in between our view and the power station, which was at first a bit disappointing, but then obviously a part of what the film is about. So the construction is happening very rapidly which I find interesting.
1: There's one image I've seen, and I'm not sure if it's the... It, it, was, it was at the top of the website, and it sort of gave the impression that this has been the, the selected plan, and I was shocked to see how much of the building's exterior is hidden by a defensive wall of yes.
3: flats. The shots that we took from... I oh, can see them now, actually, from the interior room looking out towards the power station this idea that the power station is the most valuable asset of this development but it's also the thing that's blocking it so they can't they can't erase it but it's taking up valuable land so they've built literally as close as possible around it this sort of semicircle of flats which rise almost as high as the power station itself thus you can't actually see the thing that is the creator of the value of the flats in the first place
1: yeah right so the facade of the building is hidden but also you lose that uh you know that kind of monolithic quality that uh, a building like that or a cathedral or something has and that seems a real loss to me
3: yeah and uh, ironically to go back to our chelsea neighbors the only place you can really see the building is from the other side of the river when you look at it face on with its sort of side panels of new developments
1: well, I suppose that works in Greenwich, some of those old buildings that were designed to be looked at from the water.
3: Yeah, indeed. Interesting.
1: Uh, apart from who you are in relation to the mental image I had of you, I was aware coming to this interview uh, that this could be a tricky one because I think you have previously put together an art piece which was all about an, an ancestor of yours who didn't like giving interviews.
3: Um, right, yeah. Um, she, uh, yeah, so the reason I got onto this project was I was doing a project about my great great grandmother who was resident in Battersea from kind of 1865 to 1959 which is quite a long lifespan. Good lord. Yeah so she, she saw a lot you know yes. and uh, I had an audio recording of her made just before she died which was done by uh, another member of the family and it's sort of him trying to sort of pin her down to reflect upon the sort of grand historical changes she's seen within her lifespan and she's just completely not interested in playing his game at all and I quite she's sort of a slippery character who just kind of will not play the part of the the old Victorian lady and she sort of has an energy beyond what you'd expect of somebody from that time.
2: Didn't you say that your other granny lived to be 96 or so? Yes. That was your... Father's Har- mother. That's the time I shall go. And you, you, when do you remember her? You remember her <laughs> when, when you when were twenty. When we knew Grandma was coming to see us. She oh. died. She died when you were about twenty. What oh, time before then? this? Mm. She knew Dad. Yes. She couldn't see him because she was blind. Yes. <laughs> Poor old Kelly. That was the last time I was down there when I went to see Margaret. I see. I hadn't seen the Tower Bridge before, and Henry, I said, Oh, I have not seen the Tower Bridge. At all? But, so it's when we left Margaret. Well, you're a Londoner. How is it you've never seen it before? Never went up that direction at all. <laughs> I wasn't allowed out, really. Yes, but you've been past uh, Robberhive? No. I when you were younger? Oh, my gee, yes, right down the That was before it was built then. Oh, yes, of course. Really? How did you go down? By On, on the, the river? And the river, my father. Father was um, cap- captain of a river steamer? Yes. And you went down on the ship? Oh, yes, of course. And when you went where Tower Bridge is now, it wasn't yes. then built? And then, no. Good heavens. We thought it had been there much longer than that. When was it built? Good heavens. I'm, I'm a Londoner, but I don't know anything about London. No. Did you see King Edward VII? Uh, yes, I've seen King Edward in the King's Road, Chelsea, in a carriage. Oh, yes. He was a gay old dog. <laughs> <laughs> You've nothing but that case to the ears, isn't it? It's all right, it's down. It's down. <laughs> uh, Queen Mary, of course, you remember. Oh, my God, I love Queen Mary. I a copy a hat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you make it yes. up. Oh yes, I like <laughs> it. The day I was coming out, I I was uh, coming along the corridor and I saw one of the nurses you know, and she got this hat on. She was laughing. I said half oh, a minute. I said, "That's my hat." She got on. Ellen had lifted it at the gate, she said. Oh, she's said, but after she got it the wrong way round. <laughs> so I put it on, you know, she it up. Oh, she screamed it.
3: <laughs> yeah, she was the reason that I started looking into this and then having spent a lot of time in Battersea following her around because she lived, she moved like every couple of years as people seemed to do back then you know 20 30 addresses in Battersea and nearly all of them been knocked down in the 50s to make way for the new housing estates and now you know this new phase of development which is sort of taking over from that I just found the area completely yeah absolutely I was fascinated by what's happening there.
1: I didn't I don't think I knew about the fifties developments. It kind of makes sense post war. Yeah. But, but this is the second phase of major regeneration yeah, in that well,
3: area. Battersea as a place didn't really exist before like the mid nineteenth century. So it was just kind of um, farmland. It was it is a marsh basically. So um, kind of around the eighteen I can't remember the figures exactly, but between eighteen forty and eighty eighty the population went from something like 10,000 to 200,000 or something extreme. Don't quote me on that because (laughs) it was big numbers. Anyway so you know obviously in the late 19th century a huge amount of very low quality workers housing went up and a lot of people like my family worked on the river shipyard there and then sort of you know post-war period Battersea saw a lot of the kind of first first wave of um, council built housing going up which erased a lot of this previous uh victorian housing that was uh erased to make way for that and now of course it's a whole different type of building that's happening
1: so what's the score as regards that 50s wave then we can see what's going on around the power station but what about more broadly in battersea is that all being squished as well
3: not i'm aware of i think they're just going to coexist side by side i mean there's certain uh, amounts of the area basically where all the building is happening nine elms has always been quite industrial so you had things like a massive post office depot there um the new covent garden market parts of which are being knocked down to make way for some of these blocks but mostly it was just sort of um yeah railway buildings glassworks, steel plants stuff like that, that over the years has been got rid of and it's always yeah a bit of a strange area but this area is kind of in flux which is why i found it quite interesting mm. sort of reflects always reflects the time in which it's in you know
1: when it came to trying to find footage of this stuff how hard did you have to look
3: yeah it was quite tricky i mean the, the pathé archive was really interesting and you can always especially with something like the power station that of course has always been heavily featured in all, all kinds of Films, TV, news items. Uh, found a lot of news items about the power station, uh, including some of the footage you see as a strike at the power station. Uh, there's another item which is Queen Mary visiting the power station with a, with a young Princess Elizabeth, who, of course, is now the Queen. And then some of the later footage that you picked up on the, the kind of 70s, 80s footage is of. Oh. The last wave of kind of like regeneration of the Nine Elms industrial site when I think they're knocking down a lot of the industrial buildings to make way for the new Covent Garden market. So that's what that uh, sort of archive.
0: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news ad free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The color footage is of, of the building of the new,
3: new Covent Garden market and what they erased to make way for them.
1: Going back to your great-great, grandma and her, her, her wildness in interviews yeah. it struck me because this isn't your first interview of the day you've been on chinese tv this morning how does that feel by the way knowing that you're going out to that many people on the on the chinese state broadcaster
3: uh, very abstract i have no idea what it means i can't really it, i, I found it i can't really imagine what people in china will make of my very sort of localized film about battersea power station it would I can't imagine how you would make sense of it as somebody on the other side of the world, but...
1: Although, very often when we talk about China, it's in the context of they are building X number of power stations uh, every week, so oh, I guess maybe that, yeah. there might be something they'd uh, recognize power stations. They, I think so. <laughs> but the, what I was going to ask you, the process of art and exhibiting art and uh, doing this kind of thing that we're doing now necessarily requires exactly what your great-great-grandma would not have uh, joined in with. She wouldn't have played ball which is explaining what you're doing and, and setting a narrative and uh, talking around the subject and I wondered what you feel about that as an artist how much joy does that bring to you to, to be talking about the work
3: um, I think with the nature of the work and the film that I've made I, I, I'm not trying to obfuscate Like I, I try to make the work as kind of explains itself through its own making so You know, personally I like to understand what something is and what it's about and I think that's, you know, like the most generous thing you can do really is to (laughs) try and be as straightforward as possible. I'm not really in the... I don't don't find it very interesting to be deeply confused about art. It's quite annoying really. So I'm quite happy to kind of talk about it and of course you only give away as much as you want to give away because a certain amount of it is for people to understand it themselves but the work itself sort of talks you through what's happening quite literally it sort of talks about the images on screen the narrative explains what we're seeing and where where we are in the passage of time so i'd like to think that you know people can sort of follow the thread of it hopefully
1: it's a very beautiful piece as well apart from being clear I i was wondering how that approach serves you in in the art world where i guess people are possibly more used to things being a little bit elliptical and uh, enigmatic.
3: Yeah. Um, I don't know, it's not something I really worry about really because um, just I think it's best just to be honest about what you're doing and what you want to do and what you're trying to say and I probably am more interested in uh, novels than I am other artworks. So, you know, I, I, I like the nature of the written word and how it explains what's happening. So that's my kind of, usually my... Reference point for how I make something, rather than perhaps other art films. I guess.
1: The sound of London, Londonist out loud with N. Quentin Wolf. Listen free every week on your favorite podcast platform. Subscribe via iTunes and get great extra content at Londonist.com. Tweet the show at Londonist Sound and see pictures of all our guests on the Londonist Out Loud stream on Instagram.
4: The mind will wander, she said. For that is what the mind does. Acknowledge where the mind travels to, and then gently, but firmly, time and time again, return your attention to the sensations of the breath to the present moment. On the next breath, she said, take a lungful of air and guide it down the furthest end of a limb. Breathe into this point of the body, she said, and out from it. What physical sensations are there in those nerve endings? Perhaps you feel the rush of cool air passing. The touch of a material cloaking your skin. A tingling or persistent itch. Perhaps you feel nothing at all. And that is absolutely fine. A man from the council came and stood in the library foyer. He asked people how they would like the funding cuts to be delivered. She said that's like being asked which limbs you want to cut off first. If you feel a difficulty in any part of the body, she said breathe into it, accept its presence, but do not be drawn into your feelings about it. We must accept that everything is temporary. Feelings, thoughts and emotions are just fleeting moments, coming and going, flooding past like cars on the road. A steamboat chugs past, backwards, towards things, remembered or read, felt, smelt, sense or heard of. Here comes all of our present moments past extending backward or forward, embedded in this plot of land, coming and going, coming and... Here is Badricks Island, the marshland and all its inhabitants. Here comes Mr. and Mrs. Bundle, the sparrowgrass farmers and Tom Tug the Waterman. Here comes the night soil boat from the city, filled with rich urban manure. Here comes the common land, the collective workers, the sick, coming to Battersea to be cut for the symbols. Here comes Sir Thomas More, who owns the land here now. Here comes More's tenant farmers calling out to him, More! More? But More can't hear. He's on another island writing about another island where inhabitants behave as he writes and the chamber pots are made of gold. Here comes. There goes the boat back to the city, loaded with Battersea artichokes. Nine elms, melons, and bundles of sparrowgrass grown huge in the night soil. Here comes the Industrial Revolution. Morgan Crucible. The glassworks. The steel plants. Here comes 160,000 new neighbours. Workers' work. Here comes the house. Bricks. Mortar. The house. A home. Here comes Jessie shouting to her father, the captain up on the bridgeboard. Here comes the railway. Nine elms station. There goes Jessie's boat. All the boats. The boatyard. The watermen. Here comes the Albert Palace. A steel skeleton on a carpet of broken glass. Here comes the city's rubbish. The first electric street lighting. The junction of things yet to come. Here comes the Battersea Tangle. The waterworks. Sending possible messages to our neighbors down Elephant and Castle. There goes the waterworks. Here comes Dream City, an illuminated tower of electric light. There goes Dream City, left on a page, in a box, in a dream. Here come our Chelsea neighbors from over the river, hungry for power. Here comes the power station. Right here, jobs for life. Our Chelsea neighbors have their power. A war, have their clean air. More, have the valuable houses, the women. We hold the source of their power, the thick air, the hastily built homes. Here comes Jessie, looking on as Queen Mary visits, admiring her hat. Here come the world-famous artichokes of Battersea, something like a Jerusalem. But there goes the railway station. Here comes the Festival of Britain Pleasure Gardens. Leisure, the weekend, more. Here comes the first council estate. A higher life, better, more sanitary. There goes the house, bricks, mortar Here comes and the more. riverside waste plant, shipping the waste from uptown, down the river, out the city, buried. There goes the farmland, the pigs, the cows, the sheep, the nine elms, melons, the sparrowgrass, the battersea Art. There goes jobs for life, more. Here comes the families from uptown, looking for a place by the park. There goes the steel plant, the glassworks, the workers. Here comes old money, the certain types of cafe, the estate agents, the shops, the shops we used to run a chain all over the country, until we realised that we only needed one in a place where enough people had more than enough money to buy a few extra bikes for potting around on, to take down to their cottage by there the sea. There goes the council estate, the market, the post office. Deputy. There goes the weekend, leisure. Here more. comes a new market. Here comes a future haunting the present. Here comes the present moment, future plans or reenactments of the past. Here comes the railway again, resurrected, glass and steel structures. Towers of illuminated light. Power. New life. More. Better. Sooner. Higher. But for who?
1: You're listening to Londonist Out Loud. I'm Anne Quentin Wolfe. And with me, Alice May Williams. And we're in Jerwood's... Why are we in Jerwood's space? There's something something deeply disconnected about this whole thing. Talking about Battersea for the whole show, but being not in Battersea. Well, it's because it's worth the. It. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid question, Is where the film show. Let's talk process. And some people like talking about their process and some people prefer to keep it a secret. I sense that you're not going to want to keep it secret.
3: know I'm not. There's no secrets here.
1: <laughs> and now, some people, when you ask them to pathologise their process, that kind of blindsides them because it's just inbuilt and they don't, they're not conscious of having a process. Is that where you find yourself or do you have a procedure?
3: I don't know about procedure, but, you know, I think... Um especially with this one which started from quite a specific point of uh, being in sort of historical archives and looking at the history of Battersea. I read this very, very thick, big, heavy book called uh, Survey of London, Volume 1, Battersea.
1: Um, (laughs) That sounds very exciting.
3: It actually was uh, fascinating. I haven't read the whole thing, but I got, you know, first two chapters were very rich. And um, I found out about this plan called Dream City which was an amusement park that was going to be built on the site of the power station before the power station was built
1: Was that the one we were, we saw images there yeah. that looked like that a pleasure garden? Yeah, right.
3: so um, that kind of sparked the whole interest in the site and the, the, the period of research for the film so um, yeah, kind of working through understanding it, the history of one particular location and um, Gathering images, listening to conversations of other people on the on the train, or um, kind of weaving them together into a unified narrative. Also, it comes quite draws quite heavily on the on the process of, of um, yeah of mindfulness, as I said, and about um, it uses the language of that this kind of practice of trying to ground yourself in the present moment, but being constantly drawn into the past or the future.
1: So, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure that I've been conscious of the mindfulness element as I've been, certainly as, as, as I've been watching the images on the
3: screen. Uh, well, to come back to your point you made earlier about why their um, it feet. I, I should say
1: they've just appeared on the screen. Uh, they're back
3: again. They're back, yeah. With,
1: with perfect timing. They fill up half the cinema size screen and uh, they're, they're the toes feet. are wiggling.
3: Huge feet, absolutely huge. Your feet. Yeah, so it's kind of about... Uh, grounding yourself in your own body and thinking about each section of your body in order to understand sort of your own present condition and kind of using that as a reflection on the figure in relation to the power station also the power station itself as a body and and the sensations which are passing through that body as it as it progresses through time from sort of a functional power station to a mega building site So kind of Using this process of grounding yourself in the body and, the, and and reflecting on the ground on which you are situated, as both a person and a power station. Um,
1: it, it sounds like you are the perfect artist f- for this show. Then, in the sense that as you consider a space, you're thinking about the all the, the facets of its past, all the different chapters in its past, all the possible futures, very, very much what I think brings London to life.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think that's why I was interested in this idea of borrowed time, I guess, is the sense that we are, you know, nobody really owns that patch of land. Like, it's been so many different um, things over the course of history and... Uh, yeah this sense that we are living on borrowed time also with the you know the relation to the water and the idea of living on a marsh I find really uh, funny in a way <laughs> like a high value property being on a marshland the sense that you know how long is this going to last like how how solid is the ground on which we stand
1: building on inappropriate bits of land really hasn't worked elsewhere in the country <laughs> no, no. you have I,
3: I, I find it really interesting I, I grew up um, in Dorset and you kind of Every, every sort of month or so in Dorset, a little bit of cliff falls into the sea and someone's house gets further and uh, closer and closer to falling off a cliff. And you think that, like, well, you know, these things that we understand as borders or boundaries between land and water are really very permeable and I would never live particularly close to a large body of water.
1: Yeah, although it does feel in London, does not it? And I'm thinking as well of the stuff on the Olympic redevelopment where we spread out and you get that sense of the city, the urban just crushing everything else underfoot mm. and really they become token gestures towards green space don't they? Even in the architect's drawings it's a carefully curated small quadrants of green space
3: Yeah, m- maybe I mean it's interesting you mentioned the Olympic Park because I, that was another reference point for this and there are certain points when there's images of the Olympic Park because I find it a quite um, an interesting parallel as a, as a huge development on a kind of not a neglected part of london but perhaps like a formerly industrial area but i think the olympic park's actually like an example of a really successful building of a new green public space and the way that it's utilized i think is actually really positive how batsy pans out i don't know like we'd have to wait and see wouldn't we but it doesn't look at the, you know the, the amazing thing about the olympic park is that it is so currently so empty it's just it's vast and i think that's quite remarkable in london
1: and quite a swiss army knife of a development as well they've got a a multi-purpose multi-use site on their hands well okay we've been watching this film going through a number of cycles as we've been here so we've glimpsed all the different variations on its its history and its future and the one that's currently under construction i've got to say is one of the least inspiring to my mind
3: (laughs) it at the moment it doesn't yeah it doesn't look particularly exciting um it
1: looks like they've well, it just—it just looks a bit silly, doesn't it? They've got yeah. a beautiful thing there, and they've uh, piled some ugly it's stuff
3: it's in front of it. It in glass and steel buildings, but um, yeah, I don't know. We will have to see how it works out. Maybe it will remain half-built. We never know. The thing that I find interesting about sort of architects visualisations of things is that I find them like both alarming and incredibly seductive. So there's this sense of like. Looking at those sort of flying videos where you're sort of flying through these new, new spaces and in equal parts, I don't want it to come to life and I also really want to go there. So <laughs> I I'm very interested to see what happens and how it pans out and how accessible it will be for people like us to uh, go there and walk around and what access we'll have to that building and how we will get to negotiate the spaces around it. Currently, yeah, the, the buildings that have gone up alongside it I'm not a, not a huge fan of, but I am very careful with my words as well.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, say, you sound like a reader as well because it can be a great diversion to spend time in a dystopia, but actually to have to use that dystopia on a day-to-day level is another question entirely. And it brings me around to asking, of course, when there's somebody interested in... Novels. How have novels fed your art?
3: I think both in terms of this project and the last one, which we mentioned briefly before, like I was uh, reading a a lot of Virginia Woolf. I was interested in the book Orlando as a sense of a biography, but in the terms of the vast span of history. So tracing a character through sort of 500 years of time and how that one person might change shape and body and gender and occupation and kind of using that as a model to understand the power station or that patch of land or Battersea as this character whose biography spans that kind of expanse of time and also the relationship between Virginia Woolf and mindfulness which is this constant return to the idea of the present moment so in Orlando there's this constant like narrative refrain Where Orlando will get hit on the head, and it um, it says something like, Orlando was hit on the head ten times. It was ten o'clock. It was the present moment. It was 1928, for example. So I really like that idea of of suddenly bringing the reader background to say, it is the present moment. It is this year. So you're kind of follow. You're like following the course of history, but you're within it as well as understanding as you're reading or writing you are becoming that moment in time and that moment in time has already passed by the time you've read it so the sort of written moment and the read moment and the separation between them so um also um we're talking earlier actually outside about margaret atwood and the idea of kind of these futures that are alarmingly similar to our present but also quite horrible so kind of yeah as you mentioned dystopian futures but also, as well, uh, you know, I hope it's kind of a little bit more positive than that in terms of the outlook of the film that I've made and understanding that uh, not every future is a dystopia. Hopefully. Not that I'm saying it's a u- utopia, but, you know, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: with uh, an, an abrupt application of the handbrake, uh, we've reached the end of our time. Great. And what do you mean, great?
3: I mean, it's been it's been lovely. It's been really enjoyable. It is
1: the correct answer
3: forty-five minutes?
1: <laughs> um, people will uh, want to find out more, and uh, of course, they can Google Alice May Williams. They can Google Jerwood Space.
3: Google covers all of it, basically. Google
1: is it. everything <laughs> in it. Yeah, I don't know why we even we give out website it. addresses. That's where knowledge lives, <laughs> the, Google. The show
3: is on for two months, so you could just come in in real time and space and see the actual thing in itself.
1: Alice May-Williams, thanks very much.
3: Thank you. My
2: heart aches
1: that's all for this week. My thanks for this week to Alice May Williams. Thanks, too, to James Douglas, Sarah Kitesman and Bernie Barkley. Theme and in incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm Nguentin Wolfe.